This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Last week, Pastor Aaron, he started looking at the section of Ephesians that is this extended expression of, of praise and blessing. So we're in Ephesians today, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, but this particular section I'm talking about is verses 3 through 14. Now, like I said, Pastor Aaron started looking at the particular section, and the reason why I'm highlighting the whole section, not just verses 5 and 6 that I'm covering today, because this whole section is this one long run-on sentence, right? This is one long run-on sentence. So when they came in and they were looking at it and they're, they're translating everything, what they did in the effort to try to dissect it and to try to understand it, we've, we've added commas and, and periods and chapter and verses inside of it in order to, to break it up into chunks so that we can understand it. But that whole section is actually one long run-on sentence, this one long um, piece of, of praise and blessings, right? So what we'll be doing is we are breaking it up into chunks, and we'll be looking at this one run-on, long, run-on sentence for like six weeks. Last week, Pastor Aaron started off looking inside of it, verses 3 and 4. This week, I'm going to focus on verses 5 and 6. Now, here's the deal. We never want the chunks to be separated from the whole, though, right? We don't want to say, let me build an entire thing just off this chunk. You want to be able to see the whole thing. Like, we want to like, take you to the house, right? And we want to show you the house, but we never want you to, to see the rooms of the house and think it's just about the room. We don't want you to just be like, wow, this is a really, really nice room. And just walk away super ecstatic just about the room. These are rooms inside of our house. We want you to walk away and say, man, what a beautiful house. Thinking about all the different rooms inside of that house. That's how you want to look at all the scripture, every, every book of the Bible. You want to look at it and you're like, man, I'm, I'm looking at this in context to the whole. I'm studying in this room in context to the whole entire house. So we're going to, as we walk through this thing, what, what, what we want to do is each week we want to show you the house. Because we never want you to take it outside of context from the rest of the house, right? So what we want to do, we want to show you the house and then zoom into a particular room inside that house. Last week, Pastor Aaron zoomed into the first room. This week, I'm going to zoom into the second room. But the first we're going to do is look at the house. So if you'll stand with me, we want to look at the house and we want to look at verses 3 through 14. I want to read the whole thing so that you get the feel of the entire text as we go into this small section of it. Okay. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, 
that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you would give us your truths, these, these texts, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would plant him deep into the depths of our heart, deep into the depths of our soul, Lord, and that you would cause them to sprout and bear much fruit, Lord, to build us up in our faith. Father, we give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen, amen. Amen. So that's the house. Now let's go into the second room. Now that's Ephesians verses 5 through 6. This is where we're going to be camping out at today. So let me read specifically that one. 5 and 6. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, what, what I want to do is... When, I, when I'm studying scripture and, 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 and want to grasp it and understand it well, I remember back when I was in school and in English class and the teacher would always have us do these book reports and I, and I, I love reading and, and I love just getting inside of it. And then she was like, man, I want you to be able, as you're studying it, I want you to examine these five things so you can get it. And when you're doing the book reports, this is what I want to get of it. She says, I want to understand the who, the what, the when, the where, and the why. So often when I'm studying texts, those are the things that come to my mind. I want to understand the who of the text. What's the real who? I want to understand what. What's actually happened here? Um, when it happened? Where and why? Who, what? When, where, and why? So that's what we're basically going to do today. We're going to walk through those things, and we're going to look at this text, and we're going to go through to those things. So the first thing I want to do is I want to start with the who of the text. I think that's really important. I want to start with the who. So let me put that first slide up. 
I'm going to start with the who. Here's something I want you to get. The gospel is for you, not about you. Reality check. It's for you. The gospel is for you, but it is not primarily about you. We want to look at the who of this text, the who of, of, of Scripture, the primary who. We often have a tendency to make ourselves the main character of the Bible. That's just how we do it. We make ourselves not just the main character of the Bible, the main character of history, of life. That's where we just start from. Everything is about me. We look at the gospel story. We look at all of history. We look at all of, 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 of life, and we miss it because Instead of looking at it in context to me, what I need to start and understand the big who of it is looking at it in context to God. But typically, we start with me. So when I look at life and I look at history and I read the Bible, I look at it through the lenses of me as an American or me as my nationality, me as my race or me um, starting with my, my, my gender or me as a, a mother, etc., etc., etc. And that's where we start at. And I get it because I'm thinking about me. But here's the problem. For most of us, this is where we start at. But for most of us, that's where we end at too. When you start, when your starting point is, is you, typically you end at you because you get stuck on you. And the primary who of the gospel, the primary who of history, the primary who of all of life is God. If you're going to start the, the discussion, if you're going to start looking at things, this is where you have to start at, looking at him. He's the one that started creating. He's the one that had formed us and made us. When you start looking at these other things, first and foremost... They become the lens to how you view life altogether. And they become idols. Because now I view lens through life through the lens of my race or through the lens of, of my gender or through the lens of me and what nationality. And I'm viewing all of life through those lens with what I need to be viewing it through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of the grand who of the gospel, which is God. He's the one that starts creating. So we start with God, the who. He creates man in his image and likeness. And when I say man, I'm not just talking about like male. I'm talking about man, mankind, man and woman. He created them. This is what the Bible says. So what's inside the heart of God and the mind of God is community. So you look at God and then you go to community. God creates man and community. So we're always 
viewing ourselves in context of the God that created us in contemplation of his divine sovereignty and perfect intentionality, including his intentionality regarding the community that he made you a part of. Now we start to bring back in those other things. Because now I'm looking at those other things through the right lenses. Now we'll bring back in things like race and, and gender and the places that we live and the families that we are part of or the church communities that we are a part of, etc., etc., etc. We bring them back in because in Acts it says all those things were intentional. Yeah. But if you start at those things, they become what you worship. You need to start with God and then view all those things in context to his intentionality and purposes of making you a part of them. Now we look at them in context of the God that created them and made you a part of them. And and when you're doing it, you're contemplating his purposes. We start looking at these things and we contemplate these things And we realize these things find their existence and identity in his story. But when we're looking at them first, we try to take God and define God by them. We're trying to make God and give him his identity based off of them. And in the midst of this story about God, we find ourselves. In the midst of this grand narrative of who he is, the grand who of Scripture, then we find ourselves because community is made up of individuals. And we never want to create an atmosphere that says, man, the individual is never important. It's just about the community. Community is made up of individuals. And God reflects the importance of the individual by sending his son and coming as an individual that was a part of a community according to the will of the Father. So we're going to have this discussion. We're going to look at this text the way we need to look at it, we need to start with the whole God, his purposes, his plans. He's the one that's doing something. So the first primary who is God. And we are his creations and a part of his plan, participating in his story. He's the one that's doing the work. And we are the secondary who is inside the story. And the reason why that's important because we are recipients of what he has already done. We look at ourselves through the lenses of who he is. Even when you look at this text right here, and you think about just in these two verses, verses 5 and 6, Paul refers to God seven different times. Us Three, he says, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Seven times in just two verses. Refers to us three. 
It gives us context how should we, we should be viewing things. So that's the, the who. Now I want to look at the what. The who is God. Secondary who is us, but what? What did he do? What's important here? See, the primary question isn't what will God do? The primary question is what has God done? done. This is what we need to be asking. And this is why I wonder what God is going to do. I wonder what God, what did he do already? You see, because what God has done in eternity has ripple effects that ripples throughout time. This is where we need to start at. This is what we need to understand. What God has already done sets the stage and works its way out through the course of time involving you, me, and them. So we ask this question. And asking the question, it tells us at least two things. One, when you start looking at what, what God has done reflects who he is. What God has done reflects his sovereignty, reflects him as a father, reflects him as creator, reflects him as good. What God has done, when you look at what he has done, it reflects his character, it reflects who he is. And when you think about the effect on us regarding what he had done, it distinctly identifies us. It distinctly tells us who we are. What God has done is what given us our identity inside of him. If we're going to understand who we are, we can't start with me. I can't, if I'm trying to grasp, my, grasp who I am, I'm trying to understand my identity, and I'm doing some self-searching, I can't start with self. I need to start with the one that created self. I need to start with the one that before the foundations of the world had me in mind. If I want to understand who I am, do not start with me. You will get lost. You need to start with the one that set things in motion. What he has done distinctly identifies who we are, so what did he do? We're looking at this text, and what's important of what, what he did? It says, that, that he predestined to adopt us as his very own children. That he predestined, that he made up his plan to adopt us as his very own children. Now, he didn't just forgive us for our sins of the past and the future. He didn't stop there. He could have. He could have said, I'm, I'm going to forgive you. But he went further. I'm going to forgive you for all the sins that you'll ever do. And I'm going to adopt you into my family as my own. Come on. Come on. Wow. He literally made us his children. He could have just, just stopped there. That's sort of like... 
Like, like our home got broken into a couple of years ago, and I believe it was a few neighborhood kids that got inside there, right? And it's sort of like me coming home and catching these kids inside of, uh, inside of my house and then forgiving them for trashing the place, but not just forgiving them for trashing the place, adopting them and making them a part of the family and then bringing them inside of my home and taking care of them and said, all these things that you were trying to steal, I'm going to give it to you freely. I'm going to make you my own. He could have just stopped us forgiving their sins. I think about this text by this quote from J.I. Packer. If you could put it up, it reads like this. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook of life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Adoption is the highest privilege of the God that the gospel offers. Like some of us don't trip over it. It's like I get to go into heaven. I'm just happy about that. When we should be ecstatic that I get to be the son or daughter of the most high God that created all these things. And I get to call him daddy and it's real. I'm not pretending. That should thrill you. So when you think about what God has done, and if you just stop at, he forgave me for my sins. You're just stopping at you. But when it hits you that, I get to be his kid. You're ecstatic about him. Getting forgiven for my sins is just one of the perks of the relationship. So we're thinking about how he says and how the reality of us being adopted as children. But Paul's wording here is very important, though. See, Paul's talking to a group of men and women in Ephesians and Ephesus that are, are Gentiles, right? And as he's talking to this group of men and women, he doesn't just say that you become adopted as his children. He specifies and he says, as sons. Why would he say that to a group of men and women, Gentiles? Why does this make such of a big deal? See, there's a lot of cultural significance in why he doesn't just say in this particular point that he doesn't just say you've been adopted as children, but specifically said that you've been adopted as sons. And one of those things is this. Culturally, sons were held as the prized child. The dysfunction of the world, right? It's like, man, I had a daughter. I'm so excited. I love her. But one day I'm going to give her away. She won't carry on the family's name. And she's going to be part of some other family. But whoa, I got a son. And he's going to carry on my name and my heritage. So, so sons was prized. 
And even when you looked inside the inside culture, men was always lifted up higher and prized. So what he's saying here is that in the kingdom of God, right, it's two things. It's two things when as he points out that we are adopted as sons. There's two things here. If you think about him talking to this group of men and women, one thing he tells the, the women inside the group, you'll no longer be looked at as second, that you will be treated with the value that's afforded to those that we prize as sons. As you get adopted into this thing, listen, listen, all of us are prized sons. This is the type of value that we have on each other. This is the type of value that God has for us. And the second thing is this. You see, there's a difference with being the prized son of just a, a local family versus being the prized son of a royal family. There's a big difference right there. There's a big difference. Like, man, you're the prized son of, of Bobby Joe down the block, and he loves you. He's sort of excited. And it's like, well, hold on. They're with the son of the king right there. Now, the Jews understood themselves as being the royal family of God, the chosen priesthood, right? They understood and they seen themselves that way. But now Gentiles are being adopted into this royal family and being given the status as sons. This is a big deal. It's not just any old family you're getting adopted into. And it's bonkers because in the Jewish community, they still had this sort of oppressive thing with women. But now he's including both men and women and telling them that you are all prized. So the church is, is used to display the kingdom of God. And Paul shows that in the kingdom of God, these women that we treated as second-rate citizens are included and treated with equal status as our prized sons. And not only that, he speaks to these Gentiles who's been historically excluded from everything. And he's saying to the Gentiles, now you've been included and treated with equal status as our prized sons. Culturally, there has always been statuses that were held in high regard that you could only be born into. You're going to work your way into this. There's always been that. Cultures where being a man was the deal, so you got paid a little bit more. Hey, sorry, ladies. Coaches where women are, are, are worshiping and they were deprived in coaches where certain races and stuff, you couldn't do nothing about being born into it. Like you have no choice of on what nation you're born into, no choice of what family you was a part of. But then Christ comes. And he says, in me, you are born again. And regardless of these things that you can't control, like race and gender and nationality or family, you are born again and born into and afforded the highest regard. Come on. Come on, yeah. 
Now, what this does is it humbles the person that culture lifts up. And it lifts up the person that culture pushes down. So the what is important. But when you look at the what, here's something else that's really, really important that we got to linger on. Not just the what, but when. We're going through who, what, when. When did this all go down? God isn't responding to the cultural issues and idols of our times. He's displaying a kingdom reality that was established before time. You got to get that. He's displaying a kingdom reality that was established before time, which in its very existence exposes and confronts the cultural issues and idols of our time. He's not responding to them. He's revealing a real existence that puts them on blast. When this all takes place is important. Because last week, Pastor Aaron was talking, and and in verse 4, he pointed out the when. Before the foundations of this world. This is super important. Even think about it, it. Two things, at least two things stand out. Like one of them, he wasn't looking at the Ephesians like, man, oh my gosh, you've been treated like that all this time. Here's what. He wasn't looking at them just having pity on them. I'll, I'll let you in. I'll let you in. You know what? Be a part of my family. That wasn't a scenario here. He wasn't acting out of pity. Paul is saying it was always his plan for you to be a part of his family and value the same value that he places on his own son. That was always the plan. He's not responding to the issues. It was always his plan. That's why he would send his own son to die on your behalf and then you will be united with him as joint heirs. It was always his plan that you would be called sons. So the gospel isn't responding to the broken and unjust nature of this world. The gospel instead heralds the reality of the kingdom of God that existed way before the world was broken, way before unjust nature of this world, and it naturally exposes and confronts it. Another thing that's really important when you start thinking about when this happens see, we are recipients of what, of, of what he decided, not participants in his deciding. Uh-huh. It's important for you to understand that. This happens way before you was around, uh-huh. which means only thing we do is we receive. Uh-huh. Him making this decision before you was created takes you out of the equation. He didn't look at your naughty or nice deeds. He didn't meet you halfway. 
He made the decision before you got baptized, before your confession of faith. He made the decision before you had a good family structure, before you had a bad family structure. He made the decision before you experienced poverty, before you experienced wealth. He made the decision before some of our ancestors were slave owners and before some of our ancestors were slaves. He made the decision before some of us became Democratic, before some of us became Republican. He made the decision before we became immigrants and before we became natives. He made this decision before you made good choices and before some of us made really, really bad choices. Because he made a way before you existed. I know this to be true. I know this to be true because it doesn't make sense in my own life personally. I didn't grow up a Christian. I couldn't stand them. A lot. And would never, ever imagine that I would become one of them, much less pastor. So I literally have no reason to give to them. Listen, this is what I do. I started thinking deeply and came to the conclusion. That's not what happened. It's like, yo, hold on. What the, where you at, bro? And God is good. And it's good because he's saying, like, listen, dude, before the beginning of time, it was my plan that you would be mine. And I'm going to set up everything in existence to eventually lead to that thing happening. That's why it's not just some type of theology you try to explain something for me. The next thing is where. Who, what, when, where. Where is this all happening at? Paul says, in the beloved. Paul continues to talk about this. In Acts 17 and 28, he says, In him we live and we move and we have our being. All this talk that we're talking, all this talk about blessings and what God has done, and he did this in, when it was just him Christ existing before the foundation of the world and in him he made it his mind that these things will happen and here's the deal. The only way you connect to it in its fullness is when you completely submerge yourself in him. This ain't one of those things that you're going to be able to do from the sidelines. Let me step my foot in and come back out real quick. If you're going to walk in the fullness of it, you're going to need to completely submerge yourself inside of them because it's in him. Completely submerging yourself in his kingdom and his authority. In him. He intentionally hides it in Christ. Because the moment that you think that this world is giving it to you and the idols of this world is giving it to you, when you start worshiping them and you stumble and you fall, so he hides it in Christ. The moment you get that, that's why, that's why when you start trying to find that, it always leads you astray. And he sets it up. Now, try to find... Digging to Christ. Digging to everything else, and it's going to lead you astray. Purposely, where you only will find it in Christ. Your 
die to yourself and be like, man, what does Christ have to do with my race, have to do with my gender? No, I'm sorry. I guess I got to stop chasing those things and dive into my king. And as I dive into my king and become closer to him, he reveals the depth of my identity and it becomes way more rich. Now I was like, oh, I get it. I'm thankful that you did the things that you did. Now I walk into those things differently. So let's get to the why. Oh, we started with the God that created all things. We started with the who. And we start talking about all the things that he did, when he did it, where he did it at. But the why. Why? Now, I don't propose to, to understand and be able to explain all the whys. But the ones that scriptures say, I can echo them. See, every single gift the Father gives to us is for the purpose of worshiping him, including salvation. Every single thing. He says, here's the why, to the praise of his glorious grace. That's the why. Why did he predestine me before the beginning of time? To the praise of his glorious grace. He's praising his own glorious grace by giving you the ability to one day praise his glorious grace. He's like setting up this continual wave of worship. It's sort of like knowing your child doesn't have enough money to buy your birthday gift. He can't afford it. He doesn't have it. He doesn't have it in him and you give him the money. Uh, you know, you're giving them the money to just turn around and give something back to you. Uh-huh. But when you get it back, even though it looks weird, uh-huh. even though you're like, but when you give it back, man, it's like <laughs> you give it back and you uh, enjoying it. You gave them something they didn't even have in them to give and turned around and gave it back to you and you rejoice in the creative beauty of them giving it back to you. So when he turns around and he places inside of you this thing that will happen and one day the lights will turn on and you will be able to worship him. He's like, man, I want that right there and you will give it to me in this creative and unique way that's all in line with the creative and unique person I made you to be. And it's good music to me. He's setting you up for worship. He's planning and the act of prepping to worship. Listen, we're sitting here in 11 o'clock service, sitting in 9 o'clock service earlier this morning. And if you're thinking that worship started at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock, you're sort of missing it because... There was a band that was here way early, prepping and practicing and going through things. There was a a team that was here way early, setting things up, pulling this out and pulling that out. And if you're thinking when you showed up at 9 o'clock, when worship started, you're missing it because when he was practicing, worship had already started. Y'all wasn't in the building yet. Ahead of time, worship had already started. Ahead of time before you got here, worship already started because they was pulling the stuff out. Come on, when you get it, 
Like, listen, when you're saying, no, I, I want to be in church on time because I want to be there to worship during the first song. So the night before, I start picking up my clothes and ironing them. Listen, worship done started. You think if it started when you showed up inside the building, you're wrong. It started when you're prepping ahead of time in order to do it. That's what God did ahead of time in order to do it. Every single thing that God has done is for the sake of his worship. So the only reasonable response to everything that he has done is to submit to the current and flow of all of creation and worship him with our lives to the praise of his glory, his grace. This is why he did this thing. It's like knowing, knowing I'm going to create planets and trees and wells and everything else. He's planning the praise of his glorious grace through you. And then starts doing that other stuff. Literally creating inside of our DNA worship and builds everything around it. Listen, let me go into communion and close this out. A couple of things I want to just hit on as we go into communion. Preaching through texts like this is always difficult because a lot of us start wondering so many different things. Like, like, well, well, was that me? Was I predestined? And you start trying to figure it out. And I want to just ease you a little bit. Like, listen, if God didn't call you, you wouldn't be authentically and genuinely concerned about it. You really wouldn't be. But if you're sitting there and you're wondering about it, oh man, I want to invite you to just dive fully in and worship with us. Or you're probably trying to figure out who he didn't call. Dang, I wonder if that means my wife isn't called or my husband or that lady across the street that I'm pretty sure ain't. But listen, In verse 10, it says that this was a plan for the fullness of time. So, 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 so the fullness of time for that one person, and maybe when they die, the fullness of time was there, and you need to wait and see the whole thing through for that other person, and maybe when Christ returned, the fullness of time, but at the end of the day, it's not your job. He says, the weak and the tear will grow together. He talks to them. He says, some, some of y'all are going to plant. Some of y'all are going to water. But he says, man, I will bring the harvest. The wheat and the tear will grow together. But I will be the one that separates them. Your job is to herald the gospel. I'm going to be the one that causes their eyes to light up. Yes, 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 yes. It's about trust. Trust in the stuff that you don't understand. So many times dealing with my kids, things that I'm doing, they don't understand that while you're doing that. They're like, but trust that I love you. Then I, I want your best. 
So even if you don't understand the why, don't try to figure out the why. Rest in who I am and the fact that I love you. It'll all be good. Today as we do communion, I'm going to encourage you to let these things rest inside of your heart. Even as you go up for communion, it's to the praise of his glorious grace. If I think about the bread, which is his body broken for, for me, to the praise of his glorious grace, and his blood that flowed for me to the praise of his glorious grace, because one day my eyes will open up to the reality of his glorious grace and praise him with every aspect of my life. So I invite you to come break bread with us today. And if you're saying, man, for some reason, this stands out more to me today. And I want to be a part of this family. And I want to partake in praising this glorious grace. I want to encourage you to meet one of us over here. And we'll lead you to the cross. Let's worship our King together. The tables are open. Let's worship. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.